Good morning, good morning. Glad you are here, and we do believe that God has you here. He's got you here because He loves you. He has you here because He wants your heart. And I'm just excited to be a part of this uh, journey with you today. So if you got a Bible, open it up. Luke chapter 14 is where we are. If you're a guest with us, um, you need to know we just take books of the Bible and kind of plug through them. So we find ourselves in chapter 14 because we've gone 1 through 13 so far. And uh, just seeking to allow what we believe is God's word, his letter to us, his communication with us, allowing him to speak uh, through his word. So we'll be focusing in today on Luke 14, verses 12 through 24. Uh, Luke 14, verses 12 through 24. If you uh, have a Bible, you want to keep it open because we're going to be looking at it. If you don't, there should be one on a row near you. So ask a neighbor for it, and that'll help you as we kind of walk through Luke 14 together. But uh, I'm going to read the passage in its entirety, uh, verses 12 through 24, and then we will pray, and then we'll go at it, okay, and uh, allow God's Word to work on our hearts. So, Luke chapter 14, I want to read it now uh, together. Um, I'll read it, and you can just listen. How's that? Okay, good. Verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him, the The first he is Jesus. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at that, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And his servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there's more room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that in these precious moments that we have together, that you would capture our hearts, that God, you would protect our minds from being too distracted, you would protect our hearts from being hard, and that in this moment you would come and do surgery. You would soften us where we are hardened, you would open up areas of our life that we have set off limits, you would... Help our mind to understand and our hearts to love. 
Father, please, I pray, do what I cannot and what we cannot do. Change the human heart. And so, Lord, in this time, I just want to say I love you. And I thank you that you proved your love for us on the cross. And so make your love compelling in this moment. That you love sinners who trust in you for the forgiveness of sins. Please change in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So meals matter. Yep, I said it. Meals matter. What you eat and what meals signify, they matter. Now, when most people talk about meals in America, most of the time what they're going to talk about is the type of food that they ate. Like, this taste, this restaurant was good, and here is what I loved most about it. I got this entree, and I got this and that, and that combination lit my soul afire, and I was excited. That's kind of how we talk about meals in America. But in most cultures, other than the American culture, the food is only equal to, sometimes diminished to, something that's more important at mealtime, and that is the people that you're with. The conversations you can have. The laughing, the asking, the listening, the praying, not just eating food, but the fellowship. And it's because, as a general rule, meals, at least regularly in the Bible, they are much more than just about food. They're much more. It's about the God who has provided and the people who are in front of you. And so as a general rule, the people in front of you are more important than the game you're about to go watch, the homework you've got to do, the email you need to check, the ping of the text or the notification from Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, the phone call that you get. There's something more important than just the food or scarfing it down so you can run away to something else. It's the people. God, in this very moment, in this very passage, is trying to communicate this thing. That eating is to create love. Now, we get it when I say it's to create love for food, right? It's deeper. Eating is to create love. Love for God and love for those that you're with. And so what Jesus is seeking to do in this moment is to broaden our understanding of mealtime and to broaden our hearts to love. And so he's going to do that in two ways. He's wanting to show us his heart. And he uses mealtime to do it. And so two points that I want to highlight. Number one, God and his people pursue the poor and the outcast. And it's mealtime that God uses to teach his heart and the heart that he wants for his people, for the poor and the outcast. Number two is that God's invitation to feast with him should not be excused away. 
He should be prioritized, and we should take him up immediately on his invitation. And he uses mealtime to teach these two lessons, lessons about his heart, his heart for the poor and the outcast, and his heart for people to feast with him and to not deprioritize him. So let's run into number one. God and his people pursue the poor and the outcast. We start in verse 12. So let me read it, and then we'll have to hit rewind. Verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him. We basically are jumping mid-story, okay? So if you're just now with us, you have no idea where this came from. It came out of left field, okay? Let's hit rewind to verse 1 of this very chapter. Verse 1, this very chapter, it's a Sabbath day. That is, the Saturday for the Jews was a day where you did not work and you set aside for holiness to remember God and to say, God, you are my ultimate provider, not my own work. And so as they, on that Sabbath, they gathered to eat, what happened was, he went, verse 1 of chapter 14, they dined at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. He was the leader of the Pharisees in some way, shape, or form, a prominent figure, and the Pharisees were the law keepers of the day. They told people what the law was and how to keep it. And they got really prideful in doing so. So prideful that they ended up missing the very one the law was supposed to point to. That is, they got so fixed upon doing things right, they missed the only one who could do it right. That's Jesus himself. So, catch the picture. Around a meal, the man invites everybody over to his house. First time, they tried to set him up. They tried to set Jesus up. And it was at this meal that he heals this individual with dropsy that's kind of swollen tissue and fluid retention and he heals this person and the pharisees didn't like it so his first lesson around the meal was this day and around this meal is meant to be for love not just adhering to your rules second thing you see verse seven he told a parable to those who were invited so you got this meal, and now he talks to everybody who's around the meal saying, don't be swayed by this ruler, this one who is telling you that keeping the law is most important and more important than loving your neighbor. Because they were making up laws that weren't even there anyway. And so he addresses them and he says, when you're gathering together, make sure that you're not trying to take the greatest seat because there could be somebody that comes in and then you get ousted and everybody has to do fruit basket turnover and that means like the basket turns upside down. And so everybody stands up, moves around and now this person who comes in gets the prominent seat and you got to go and sit in the back row. Don't do that. He uses a meal to teach a lesson about the heart. That is, it's better to take the low position than to crave the high position. It's better to find strength in weakness than it is to talk about how strong you are in your own power. It's better to have a humble heart. The Pharisees were missing this, and so he says, verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's this lesson. Weakness is stronger than strength. Poverty can be wealthier than the rich. The lowly heart is better than the proud heart. This is the message he's seeking to teach. But now verse 12, which is where we are, he now addresses the guy who's throwing the party. The guy, the ruler, the Pharisees, verse 1, 
He's gathered everybody together, and he talks to him, and he says this. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return. But instead, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. What in the world is he saying? Well, in order to understand this, we need to understand what he is not saying and what he is saying. What he is not saying and what he is saying. How many of you have had, if you're a follower of Jesus, have had other Christians over for a meal? Yes, that's right. I see hands. Thank you. Participation always encourages my heart. So feel free to do like a shout out, hand rate, whatever. You have, okay? Well, if you take this verse in isolation, then you've blown it. If you've ever had family members over, have you ever done that before? Yeah, okay. According to this verse, you've blown it. If you've ever had somebody who had more money than you over to your house, according to this passage, you've blown it. Is that what he's saying? No. Well, how do I know that? That's what it says. Do not invite. I mean, how much clearer could it be? Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your relatives. Don't invite the rich people. I mean, could he be any clearer? Well, this is one lesson of Bible reading that you really got to understand. You cannot take verses and passages in isolation to the whole of the Scriptures. Because, let's just take this for example. God establishes a group of people who love Him, who've been changed by Him, and He calls in the church, and He says, the first step of obedience is that you get baptized. And with your body, you declare that you've died to sin, and that He's raised you up and made you new. And then every time you gather after that, have a meal that tells everybody around you how much Jesus has changed your life. It's called the Lord's Supper. And so, in the early church, the way that supper worked was that people would gather in a house and the meal was not just something to do because people were kind of late for work and they needed to eat. It was something that was meant to remember the blood of Jesus. It was to sit and to reflect on his gift to them of eternal life. And who was it with? It was a bunch of Christians gathering together. It's called the Lord's Supper. So when we take it after the service or after the sermon today, I know it's going to feel like a letdown after this sermon because it's just a little like cracker and a piece of or some juice or whatever. But back in those days, it was a feast. We know that because in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, there were people abusing it, saying, I'm coming to get the goods rather than remembering about who this is for. But what's the principle? He established that Christians should get together to eat. That's right. Thank you. See, you guys are getting it. Okay, you're getting it. Just take one more step. Keep it going. More than every 10, 15 minutes. Okay, here we go. So then what happens? He eats with his followers for what's called the Lord's Supper. There were no crippled, lame, or blind there. But he eats with his followers to teach them, to teach them about what is to come. So all of a sudden, we have, if this is the rule, then he's breaking the rule. That he's already given. And then, whose house did he go, at, go eat at who was rich? Anybody know? Bible quiz 101? Yep. Zacchaeus, that's right. He went to Zacchaeus' house. And he ate with the rich. 
So all of a sudden we begin to see, I'm not sure this is cut and dry like I wanted to read this. Like I shouldn't have fellowship with believers or I shouldn't have family over. That's not what he's saying. On the contrary, Scripture actually speaks to the prominence of meals to deepen friendships, encourage one another, pray for one another, and remember who he is and what he has done for us. That's why we encourage meals in our community groups and homes. It's not just a precursor. It's meant to be a time when you get together and you enjoy fellowship with one another around food. And you're thankful and you listen and you pray and you laugh and you cry and you talk. The point of meals, it's more than the food. It's the fellowship. And when we have the Lord's Supper, it's a time of remembering. He says this, For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The meal was for remembering. It was for remembering. And so I pray I pray that meals are not the same for you. I pray that when you sit down and the food before you is really good, it's easy when it's really bad to long for something more. But when the food is really good, you've got to understand this is a small morsel, a small little taste of what is to come. It's just a fraction of the exquisite tastes and the imploring of our senses that we will get on that last day when we are with him forever. It is meant to point us to a great God who satisfies deeper than the food which we'll get hungry later on today right after we eat it. God has created our bodies to need and to want. And ultimately, he is the one that is meant to be worshipped. And food is really only meant to point you to the one to worship rather than worshiping the food. But that's what the Philippians did. It says to the Philippian church, he says, and their God is their bellies. What an image. You've taken what was meant to point you up and instead you have begun to worship that very thing. Your God, the one you're worshiping, is what's down here rather than the one who provides day in and day out. Whether he's, not, whether he's providing something small or something lavish, the point is he is the provider. And meals are meant to point us upward. So, what's this rabbit trail kind of taking us on? Meals are important. Important for remembering. And he's not saying for Christians to not enjoy fellowship around a meal. On the contrary, he says all over the place, we should deepen friendships, encourage one another, but the meal is still still about the fellowship and about the God who provides. But what is he saying in this passage? Well, let's look at it. All the previous times around this meal, he is addressing a problem with the Pharisees. The question is, what problem is he addressing now in them? There's two problems. One is their failure to be merciful, and two is their craving to be repaid. The first problem in their heart was their failure to be merciful, and the second problem in their heart was their craving to be repaid. Look at this. He says to the Pharisees, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be what? Repaid. But when you give a feast, invite 
the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. He is addressing the fact that they have not been merciful. Isn't it amazing? They could be really religious. They could keep a lot of laws and still miss God's heart of love. You can come to church every week. You can give exactly like you're supposed to. You can check off any religious box on the planet and still miss the very heart of God of mercy towards the needy. And so, this has been the problem, the Achilles heel of the Israelites all growing up, all throughout history. And this is why he says in Hosea chapter 6, he says, For I desire steadfast love, continuing love, and not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What's his point? You're sacrificing all these things You're killing all these animals to go through these religious motions, but you don't know me, and you're not loving like me. And this is why Jesus repeats that very verse in Matthew 9 when he's talking to the Pharisees. And he says this, Matthew 9, verses 10 through 13. And Jesus reclined at table, once again, using a meal to teach a lesson. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came, And were reclining with Jesus at table and his disciples. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? This is classic legalism that can look at somebody and judges them rather than loves them. But when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well, that is, those who think they are well, by their law keeping, have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, have need of a physician. And I'm that physician, Jesus says. Now he tells the Pharisees, those who are self-righteous and judgmental, go and learn what it means. And now he quotes Hosea 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The people of God are meant to be characterized by mercy and generosity. That's why he says in Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man of God, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But this, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. This is what he is asking of us all. Pursue, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. This is the very message that the Pharisees have been missing. He wants you humble and walking humbly with God. And he wants you pursuing and doing mercy. And he says, Pharisees, you'll learn this by not inviting those who can repay you, but inviting the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. And that passage in Micah 6, 8 and this passage here tell us that it's not just being okay if they happen to show up. It's really easy to say, no, 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 if If someone came to my front door and they knocked and they were really, really poor, then of course I would consider letting them in. That's not how this passage is talking. This passage is saying someone is inviting, going out and asking, sending out invitations, requesting for these individuals to come and to eat 
with you who have means, you who can feed and provide. It's not just I'm okay if they come. It's I'm intentional with my life. I'm pursuing and doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with my God. And why does God wire it this way? Why does Jesus set it up this way? Proverbs 14 tells us just two verses out of hundreds in the Proverbs that speak to this. It says this, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed, happy, content is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors his maker. It's good for our hearts. It's good for our hearts. Why is it good for our hearts to be merciful? Because when we are merciful to the poor, to those who cannot repay us, we begin to understand the gospel better. Why is Jesus so passionate that these Pharisees don't invite their friends and all their neighbors and the rich, but invite the poor into their house? Why? He says it twice. Look at the end of verse 12. Lest they also invite you in return and you be, say it, repaid. Look at verse 14. And you will be blessed because they cannot... Okay, that was sad. It was really sad. Let's try it again just for engagement. You know, I said 15 minutes. I know it's hard. Let's try to go again. Here we go. And you will be blessed because they cannot... There we go. Thank you. In the front row. Okay, well done. They can't repay you. What's he going after? He's going after a culture where you would invite people over for what they could give you. I'll invite my relatives over because it puts them in my debt. I'll invite the rich over because it gives me the connections I need. I'll invite the people over because it helps me out. Gives me prestige, helps me feel secure, whatever it is. They were using the table as a means of helping themselves. And Jesus says, why don't we do it differently? Why don't we do it differently? Why don't we do it in such a way that no one can repay you so that now all of a sudden you begin to understand my heart? The message is very consistent for Jesus. Followers of Jesus are generous. That's what happens. Followers of Jesus are generous. And in throughout the New Testament, many people's faith is tested by how generous they are to the poor. Matthew chapter 25 is a prime example. It was those who served the poor and the needy and the prisoner and the hungry and those who didn't have clothing. That was a test for where their faith was. Because if anything will expose self-righteousness, it's when someone has less than you. Because then you can look at them and say, they don't have what I have because they didn't do good enough. Or I have what I have because of what I've done. And all of a sudden you begin to judge because somebody's in a certain position. Care for the poor and the needy, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who cannot repay is a litmus test for the heart. And Jesus is saying, why don't we start doing things expecting nothing in return? Now you can practice this at home. Because there are tons of household chores where you can practice. Are you doing something 
to get something in return? Or are you doing something because you want to love somebody and serve them? Right? Think about those dishes that you do. How many times have you done those dishes only to have some ingrate eat something after you've already cleaned all those dishes and set it there and not wash it out? It's like, who's going to wash that? The dish fairy? No, me. That's right. And so you go and you just clean it out and you don't say anything because you're too holy. And so all of a sudden you're going to clean it out. And deep down in your heart, you're angry, fire spitting out your nostrils because somebody didn't clean their dishes. Isn't it crazy how when you do something to serve, when somebody doesn't thank you, acknowledge it, or makes things harder, all of a sudden, whoo, it's not indigestion, friends. It's anger. And it's coming out. You ready to cut somebody down? That's how it rolls. We can practice at home. Why in the world are we taking out the trash or doing the laundry? Or even when what Jesus is saying here, why are we inviting certain people over to eat? Are we doing it for what it can give us or are we doing it because we want to love? And friends, the world can't handle this. I can't tell you how many times I have sought to care for somebody. Let's say I take somebody out and I say, no, I'm going to take care of your meal. And they say, okay, but I'll get it next time. What is that? It's okay that you say that. You didn't sin. But what is that? It's this bent in the heart that if someone does for me, I got to repay it. But when you are a recipient and you cannot repay, all of a sudden you begin to get very near to the whole concept of what it means that you are saved by grace alone. This is the gospel. You can't repay. You couldn't if you tried. And this is why it is wired by Jesus that he wants us to invite people who cannot repay is so that we would understand his heart. You can't repay him for what he's done for you. You can't do it. And so that's why Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. You got to have that what means what? You got to have a giver and you got to have a receiver. Right? Some of you some of you need to learn how to receive. And when you can't receive, what it does is it begins to create a culture, a culture that can't show weakness because you can't show that you are needy, that you need counsel, that you need material possessions, that you need help in budgeting or that you need wisdom on a decision you can't show that you are needy and therefore you're robbing someone of a blessing who would be a giver and you're robbing yourself of the help that God has designed you're robbing yourself of seeing the gospel at work through other people that's the gospel you could not help yourself Jesus came all the way to you when you were lost in your sin and so some of you need to learn to be receivers. And some of us need to learn to be generous givers. That cuts across all economic lines, from the very rich to the very poor. We need to learn to be givers and receivers. Because when we learn that we cannot repay the God of the universe, all of a sudden it makes us really thankful and really generous. Now, why does he tell them that he should invite them into the house? 
because many times it is the external actions that with the right heart can change our hearts as we go. For example, it is nowhere in the Bible that you have to kneel down and pray. It's actually nowhere in the Bible that you got to close your eyes. It's nowhere in the Bible that you got to put your hands together like this. But I remember when I was a kid, you know, it was like on your knees, hands together, eyes closed. Most of that was because I was a distracted mess, still am at times. So, but why would we bow down like this and do this? Because many times as the body goes, the heart goes. And when I do this, it doesn't make me holy at all. But when like this, I say, God, I'm broken and needy and desperate, and I need you to change me. And all of a sudden, God can use our posture to change our heart. And when we're singing and we do this with our hands, that doesn't make you holy. And on the flip side, when people do this, they're not trying to draw attention to themselves. When I do this, it is a means to say, oh God, get my heart where it needs to be. Shove it upward that you might get the glory with my mouth and my life. He uses our body and our actions to change the heart. The Bible said God loves a cheerful giver. Well, that doesn't mean you wait until you get happy to give. That'll never happen for many of you. I get it. It's hard. It's no God Forgive me for not wanting to give anything away and to hoard it all for myself and help me, help my heart to follow this gift right now. Take my heart because I don't want it attached to things. God uses actions to change the heart. So he says, when you have a meal, fellowship with Christians, enjoy one another, love your family, deepen relationships, encourage one another, pray. Yes, 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 but do not miss this point. Invite the homeless poor into your house, those who cannot repay you, because it'll teach you about the gospel and it'll teach others as well. Jesus is after your heart. And so, the general message is this. Yes, Christians be generous. Yes, do things so that you're not trying to get repaid. But don't let those general messages neuter his point here, and that is this. We must be intentional to care for the poor, the outcast, and the hurting. And if you have never had the poor, the outcast, and the needy in your home, then you are probably too inward, and you're missing Jesus' commands here. He was addressing the Pharisees and their problem was they were not being merciful and they were doing something to get repaid. So, who are the poor that we might pursue? It says here the crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor. Throughout the scriptures though, if you understand poverty, it is both extreme and mild. It is both chronic and situational. So what does it look like to obey this command of inviting the poor into our houses, into our very homes? Who are the poor? The poor are not one race, one location in a city. It is not less than physical poverty, but sometimes it is more than physical poverty, emotional, spiritual poverty, depression. And so what might it look like to take steps towards this? Well, 
There could be a neighbor that you have that is suffering and going through some significant trials and they feel weak. Why don't you offer to take them a meal or invite them into your home? Some of you, there are families that have had a hard week and they don't have enough energy. Sometimes they don't have enough money to get a meal going. Tell them you'll provide them a meal. Ask them if they would be willing to eat with you and use it as a point to point to Jesus and to his free grace. There are others who lose their job. We can step in. Others who get major medical bills that were unexpected and they get really anxious over the finances. We can step in. Those whose cars break down or houses flood or the heating and air units go out or roof leaks. We can step in. We can provide meals. We can invite them into our homes so that we care for them. But there's also not just these situational things. There are chronic things. There's homelessness. There's those affected by imprisonment, whether it's a fatherless home or whether it's those who have been wrongly accused or whether it's coming out of prison and having no structures to kind of step into. They need someone to say, you matter. You're important to my God and you're important to me. Invite them in. From the single parent who never gets a break from cooking for the kids. Say, you're special to me. I care for you and I want you in my home. To the mentally or developmentally delayed. The list can go on and on. But we as followers of Jesus should make our meals for love. And take some steps to have people in our homes. Because why? He says, verse 14, if you do this, you will be blessed. You'll be happier. You'll be more content. You'll be satisfied in him because you get near to his heart. The second piece is not only about God's heart for the poor and the outcast, and therefore his people's heart to pursue the poor and the outcast, but now he invites his people to a feast. And all of a sudden, some people give excuses. He uses a meal again to teach another lesson, a lesson to prioritize him above all. Look at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, this is where you got to understand what's happening. Lesson in sociology. When introverts get nervous... They get quiet or fidgety. When extroverts get nervous, they can't stop from talking. This would be the latter example, okay? So when Jesus is pressing in upon these Pharisees, and as they're listening, they're getting very uncomfortable because everybody in the room is there because they're going to get something from someone else. And he's just saying, you blew it, leader. And you're tempted to blow at people. That gets a little awkward, right? You can imagine the kind of awkward silence that would kind of pervade the dinner table. And he probably just let it sit there. And Jesus is just like, now what are you going to do with it? And he just keeps eating. And so this guy is like, okay, okay. Um, and, and blessed is everybody who will eat in the kingdom of God, right? Jesus just said, no, blessed is the one who invites the homeless or the poor and the crippled and the lame. And they say, he says, no, no, no. And blessed is everybody, right? And now Jesus, we know that this is a nervous twitch because of how Jesus responds. Jesus responds by telling a story. 
Whenever Jesus starts to tell a story and answer to your question, and he doesn't answer your question, you're in trouble. Here we go. He says, a man once gave a banquet. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't comment on this dude's question. He just like, okay, let me tell you a story about a man in a banquet. Okay. And he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. You've got to understand the picture. The picture is of God who has been preparing for all time to gather his people in. He's been listening to them. He knows their needs. He cares for them. He's been delivering them time and time again. He is inviting them and he has told them that when I call, you should come and it will be the best thing for you. He knows what you like to eat. He knows what satisfies the heart. And he is saying, now's the time. There's no greater apex than this moment right here when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords says, I want you to come and be with me and eat with me forever. It's the greatest of all invitations. The invitation into something that satisfies every craving of the human heart. He says, come, now's the time. Everything is ready. That's going to be a good day. Everything is ready. Come. And what happens? People say, wait just a second. I've got something better to do. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you fix a massive meal for Thanksgiving and 20 people say they're going to come and you got this massive spread and then all of a sudden call after call after call. Sorry, I can't come. I got other things to do. I can't come. I got other things to do. I can't come. I got other things to do. And there you are with food for 20, you, yourself, and you sitting there eating. What would happen in the heart? The rejection is not just a rejection of food. It is the rejection of the host. And before you focus in on rejection, you need to first look at the heart of the host. The heart of God who says, come, I want you with me. Come, I want you with me. I've prepared this place for you. I know exactly what you want and exactly what you need. Come and eat with me. And what do they say? No, my possessions are too important. No, my business dealings are too significant. And no, heck, I just got married. I got some better things to do right now. God's invitation gets deprioritized. He takes a back seat to what's most important. He is rejected. And so he says, verse 24, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Why? Because they've rejected him. Now, you might say, who are those who have rejected him? Who's he addressing? Well, for some of us, rejection of Jesus is like really clear. It's like those really bad people. Those are the ones who reject him, and those are the ones who will not benefit from heaven forever and ever. It's the really bad people. So I was reading in the news this week. This is not made up. These are real news stories this very week. <clears throat> A man faked 
having cancer. Created a GoFundMe account, held multiple banquets, lied to his entire family. His wife did not even know in order that he could make money. Made over 10 grand. And when the scam became clear of what he had done, they realized that he had used the 10 grand, no joke, to buy video games, to play Clash of Clan, and to have food that he wanted. No joke. Faked cancer in order to have extra, not just to provide for needs. Another person, there was a man who had a seizure. And while he is on the ground having a seizure, a woman comes up, takes his wallet out, empties the wallet, pockets it, and takes off while he's having a seizure. And you think, are you kidding me? Those are rotten people. What you think? Of course they're not going to get eternal life because they've done horrible things. Well, it gets worse. In Somalia this week, or just yesterday into today, there were bombings that have killed almost over 200 people. ISIS has claimed credit for it. And you think these individuals are the picture of rejection of God. And they are taking human life. And they will not taste the kingdom of God. But you know what's shocking? He doesn't use those kind of examples. The examples he uses of those who will be rejected are the people who prize their possessions more than him. The people who said, I've got some ox over here. I got to do this business dealing first and then maybe I'll come to your feast. And somebody who prioritized their marriage and these relations over God. What's the lesson in that? What's the lesson in that? The lesson in that is that that last day meal is not lost because people have done filthy actions. They are lost because They have filthy hearts. And although these actions are to be hated, what gets you into that feast is a heart that says, I am filthy. I am a mess. I am a sinner. And I cannot save myself. He's already said, it's the humble who will be exalted. Not the well who think they are spiritually well. Not those who are strong in their own might, but those who say, I can't do it without your mercy. This is the upside-down paradigm of Jesus. And He is warning that yes, those of you in this room who reject His invitation, His invitation is right now going out to you, turn from your sin, surrender every part of your life to Him, Respond in His timing. Don't tell Him to wait on you. Follow Him now. That message is for anybody in this room. Surrender. Surrender your heart to Him and trust Him that He is the only one who can forgive your sins. 
But the warning is also to those of us who have just general excuses. These general excuses that can lead to a habitual hardening over time. God, not now. No, I'm not going to do this. This is more important. My bank account is more important. I'll have time for you later. The over and over and over and over and over disregard for him, indifference to him, putting him off, it can lead to a hardening of heart and a running away from God. Song of Solomon says it's the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. It's the small things that can uproot the heart. Don't call them small. Jesus didn't call them small. Instead, just acknowledge your only hope for getting into that feast is to say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And it's to turn from your sin day after day. And if you make excuses, just don't harden your heart. Call them what they are. They're excuses. I have prioritized this over you. Oh, God, change me. That's the way a follower of Jesus talks. That's the way the one who is going to get to be with him on that last day. It's not perfection. It's humility. That's what he's after. And so these leaders were at risk for missing God's blessing entirely because they were leaning on their own performance, their own law-abidingness, rather than humbly saying, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But finally, verse 23, verse 21 says this. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You've got to understand the context here. The first invitation is the invitation to his Jewish people who have witnessed his deliverance all throughout history. And they're rejecting him. So he says, go out into the city, the very people that these leaders are rejecting, and you get those individuals who are poor and blind and lame and crippled, and you bring them in. And then it says, hey, there's more room. What should I do? And he says in verse 23, go out into the highways and the hedges. That's outside of the city. Go outside of the Jewish people and invite anyone who would respond in humility and faith to come in so that they too might be a part of that massive spread and be in the presence of Jesus. He says, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Lesson, no matter whether there is rejection or not, God's going to have that feast on the last day. His purposes will be accomplished and his people will be ushered in. And we will have a feast with the living God forever and ever if we trust in him, living for him. So, I tell you, I knew this was going to be tough. Because as I was preparing for this message, I spent a lot of time with many of you, and I got my own issues, right? And so I'm thinking, this is really not going to be on anybody's radar screen when they come in here. Unless they read the passage beforehand, they're going to be thinking, I'm hurting. I'm scared. I've been really discouraged, and I need some encouragement. I feel lonely or depressed. I feel like a failure. And now all of a sudden you come in here and it's like you've been hit by a semi-truck about, okay, so I'm not inviting the homeless poor into my house? Are you serious? Are you really even in touch with what's going on in my soul? 
I don't want you to miss the heart behind every part of this message from Jesus. And it is this message right here. Before it is a request for you to do for the poor and the outcast, it holds up a God who says the poor and the outcast are valuable to me. And when he looks at you and your hurt and your sadness and your tears, he looks at you and he says, you are valuable to me. You are physically poor. Some of you, yes, but every one of you are spiritually poor. And I have come to you and you are valuable to me. He says, yes, poor, the poor matter to me. Yes, ethnicity matters to me. Yes, the nations matter to me. Yes, the Jews matter to me. Yes, obedience matters to me, but so does your hurt. And so does your pain. And so does your confusion of mind. And so does all of your fear and your tears. You matter to me. You're valuable to me because this passage ends at the cross where he gave his very life for you. This is not in a vacuum. There's no way you can love until you know you've been loved. You are the outcast. You are the poor. You are the needy. And he came to you and he rescued you when you could not repay him. This is the gospel. And until you know that good news and experience the freedom of surrender, you will never have what you need to invite people into your home and to extend your life into theirs. This is good news. A Savior loves you, and he who was rich became poor, so that in his poverty you might become spiritually rich. Oh, that we might enjoy him and extend our lives that others might do the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please protect us from taking away in this moment. We've got to do better before we realize how much better has been done for us. Oh God, I ask, I ask in this moment that our hearts would be turned upside down. I ask in this moment that we would feel your love for us. May we see you as that one who has known every single desire, every single craving and says, I'm the good shepherd and in me, you won't want at all. I'll provide it all and I'm preparing a table before you in the presence of uh, my enemies and I'm going to invite you in. There'll be no more suffering or pain or death or night. My glory will be there. I will satisfy you fully. I pray that our eyes and our hearts will be caught up in your love for us in this very day so that then by staring at your generosity in the face, we would then have the strength and the energy and the hope for this promise that blessed, happy, content, at peace are those who invite the outcast and the poor into their homes. Oh God, may we not reject you today. May we not make excuses anymore. May we enjoy your love and may we extend it as you give us breath. And right now in the spirit of prayer, we're going to take up we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to have a meal. And it is meant to be a meal that says as you eat that bread and drink that of that cup, it is meant to say, God, I want you to come into my heart just as that food is going down. And I need you to change me from the inside out. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to wash me clean. But it is also a meal of great celebration.
that Jesus invited us into his family. He conquered our sin. He did not allow our dirt and our poverty to keep us at arm's length, but he hugs us and he loves us and welcomes us. I pray right now that you experience his hug of you in this very moment. It's the Lord's Supper. It's the time when we reflect on his death for us and his resurrection. It's a time to remember his goodness. And it's a time to love our neighbors. Some of you might have somebody come to your mind that you just need to go to and pray for or confess to. This is the time. It's around a meal. Oh God, please, may meals never be the same again. For some of you in this room, you're not followers of Jesus, so this meal is not for you. You're not wanting to surrender your life wholly to him, so you should not take of this because you'd be eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. But this time is to hear that call. He says to you, come to me. And now is the time for you not to reject him, but to embrace him as the only one who can wash away your shame and guilt and satisfy your soul. This is the time for that. So whatever it is, let's enjoy this meal together as a time of reflection and prayer and a celebration that God loves and saves sinners.